you got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't know Bible, but you got a phone, you can Google it uh, if you want. We always use the ESV, the English Standard Version Bible here. Um, it's not because we think it's the only version, it's just the one I like the best. Um, we also will put the verses up here if you want to follow along. Man, I'm excited on Baptism Sundays. It's the first time ever, I'll be honest, that I haven't just preached a baptism sermon. We just did that three weeks ago. So I figure uh, I don't want to be the head of the Department of Redundancy Department. So we will move forward um, with a regular message in our Giving Matters series. Uh, let me say a couple things as we kind of jump into that. One, um, I'm so excited about Nicole being baptized that i got to just like focus. So if you pray for your pastor while he preaches today, just pray that I can focus on uh, the multiple matters at hand. Two, let me say, and this is this is really important. Like, if you don't hear anything else today, this this is kind of an asterisk at the beginning, a pre-footnote. It's really important for you to hear. If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure, uh, today's sermon doesn't apply to you at all. If this is not your church, this sermon doesn't apply to you locally. Um, as we talk about giving, today's uh, sermon title is Giving Matters. When we talk about giving to churches. It's the responsibility, the right, the privilege of Christ followers to participate in the mission and giving of their church. So uh, I used to have a friend, Ed and I talked about this the other day. I had a uh, pastor friend who told me, he said, now when you, if you ever go preach at this one church in town, he said, make sure you take a bunch of, a bunch of small bills. He said, because you're the pastor of another church in the community and they're going to, they're going to pass the plate and they're going to pass the plate until they raise enough money. And so that plate is going to start with you and all eyes will be on you. He was like, so for the first offering, make sure you drop at least a five in the plate. He said, because they're watching. He was like, after that, just make sure you got a bunch of ones because they're going to pass that plate until they get it done. Right. Giving in the church is the responsibility of that local church, not like everybody else all over the place. Now, the other day I found myself doubly wrong, like. Have you ever gotten busted in something and the spirit of God kind of convicts you on the inside? Like I got like the double whammy, like the, the spirit of God got me like this. And then he came across like this and got me uh, two ways. And here's what it concerned. It concerned this idea of giving with my boys, Noah and Owen, who I am so proud of. Uh, Owen went this week and helped get the baptistry with me, rode across town to West Roxbury. And that was just a really fun moment. I love my boys. So fiercely proud to be their dad. Uh, but one thing I've not done, I've not discipled them well in, is this idea of giving. Uh, because in this day and age, for kids their age, their economy works different. They don't deal in hard cash anymore. They deal in something called Robux. Uh, there is a game called Roblox. And Roblox is essentially just you buy different stuff. I don't fully understand it, but I know it's a big deal. And so they'll be like, Dad, uh, well, they'll, they'll get $10. and like, Dad, can I trade you? Here's a $10 bill. Can I get $10 in Robux? Am I saying that right, Noah? Robux? I can ask Owen. Owen, am I saying it right? Owen's like, I can't believe I'm at church today and my dad's talking about me, right? So the other day, I realized that we have been allowing our kids to take 100% of their money and use it for uh, Robux or for fun or for future. Uh, my kids can be pretty good at saving for their future, but not giving. Uh, 
I kind of didn't want to kind of force that on them in a way. So we didn't really, I haven't really pushed them on the idea of giving. But then I thought, because we were getting ready for the series, I was like, wait, I'm going to tell our church it's a sin if you're a Christian not to be giving, but I'm not going to tell my kids that. I was like, that's kind of hypocritical because my first church is my family. And uh, so I really had to sit with that for a minute. And that was the first punch. That was God hit me with the left. And then I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my sons to give, but not be frank and leave my church to give. Like, however frank I lead Noah and Owen, I want to be that frank with you guys as well. And that was the right punch. And then I just sat there. I was like, dang, God, you got me both ways. Like, you got me both ways. And so neither of those approaches is okay. So I want to be careful with Noah and I want to be careful with Owen. And I want to be careful with you to tell the whole story today about giving, all right? So I want to make sure we're good. All right, so we're in this, this series called Money Matters. Hope, I think I've got up. If you'll pull up the first slide, uh, slide one. The first message in the series said, or maybe slide two, the one after the title one. Uh, not that. Nick, will you see if you can help her get to, it's slide one and mine. I think they should be in there. It should say the first idea of the first message. I'm just going to move forward in the interest of time. The first thing we talked about in this series is that money matters. Oh, that's the second one. I'll get, we'll get to this one. Don't move. Just don't move. Money matters. Our worship matters. So money problems are worship problems for Christians. When I have a money problem, it's usually an indication of a worship problem. The next week was debt matters. And we talked about this idea that debt steals territory meant to be ruled by our good King Jesus. Uh, just like the state of Virginia that gradually gave away its land, when God's people are indebted, they're giving away land that ought to be uh, belonging to Christ. In other words, it enslaves people who have been set free by Christ. And so then, Hope, if you could pull up the one with the four pictures, it should be the earth, uh, this one. So we, we talked about, and this is the big theme of this series, about the gospel. And here's the message of the gospel right here, that God created everything and he declared it good. Do you remember that? And then the next part is that sin uh, broke all of God's perfection and goodness, including how we view our money. Um, and so Adam and Eve ate a piece of fruit and a garden, and everything has been broken ever since. So humanity is moving along this spectrum of brokenness, but also there's brokenness in me, that God made me, made you in his image, and yet we sin willingly and sometimes unknowingly. Uh, sometimes we have sinned, and a lot of times we've been sinned against. And all of that adds to this brokenness that we find ourselves living in. And we talked two weeks ago about how debt exists in that area of fall. That debt and slavery were part of living in the fall away from what God intended. But then the third part we talked about uh, in this series is how Jesus came and died. Jesus died uh, to save sinners and to forgive sin. We call this part of the gospel story rescue. So it's creation fall, rescue. Now, Jesus doesn't just sort of save our souls for us to go to heaven and be able to sleep good at night. He literally saves and begins this restoration work in people whose hearts he's changed so that he wants to take all the broken things and begin to put them right. And ultimately, in all of creation, even as we see kind of creation groaning in the brokenness, uh, Howard and I get together every Thursday, and one thing that Howard really schooled me on a couple months ago, he's like, J.D., I don't even watch the news anymore. I'll read it a little bit. He was like, it's just so sad and heavy. Like, we are living in the midst of fall and brokenness. 
But Jesus rescues and Jesus will ultimately restore. The gospel is that God is taking all the sad things and he's making them untrue, as J.R. Tolkien said a hundred years ago. And so today, if debt matters sits in the area of fall, giving matters, and this is important, this is really important, giving matters sit in the area of rescue and restoration. Now, why is that important? Let me tell you. Because most church sermons, I believe that you and I have heard in our lifetime, have treated giving to church and giving to God as if it were a fall issue. When we're dealing with fall and sin, what do we do? We feel guilt, we feel slavery, we feel indebted, and we feel paranoid. That's not how giving ought to be at all. And yet that's how so many giving pitches have been. They've been treating Christians like we live in the fall. There's guilt trips treating you like you're morally poor, almost like, man, you better pay your tithes, you better pay your gifts so that God will forgive you. It's almost like this reciprocity thing. Uh, a lot of giving sermons try to enslave you to giving to God or giving to the church. Uh, listen, I want to tell you that when that happens, it's almost like when a church preaches that sermon, it's like we take off the yoke, a yoke's the heavy metal weight that you put over an ox to get it to plow correctly. It's like a church, when it does that, takes off the yoke of slavery to sin and now puts on the yoke of guilt. And that is not gospel. Jesus died to rescue us. So when I said, if you're not a Christian today, that means that you have not yet accepted the work of Jesus at the cross and don't have a relationship with God through Christ. And so theologically, you are living in the area of fall. Giving to a church is a rescue and restoration point. That's why I say this doesn't apply to you. The most important thing you need to do if you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're in the room or you're watching by Facebook Live, is you need to deal with Jesus' offer of forgiveness and relationship with God made at the cross in the empty tomb. He died for you, not so that you would give to a church or be religious or be moral or any of that, but so that you can have relationship with God. That's one thing I love about Nicole and I love about Howard. They talk about how they never heard their whole life they could have relationship with God and the freedom that comes with it. And for the first time, they're experiencing that. Here's the truth. We're not even call it, we're not going to call it first today tithing. That's the church word. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to call it gospel giving. We're going to call it gospel giving. We're going to call it grace giving. We're going to call it restoration giving among rescued people. That's what giving is. It's restoration work among rescued people. We are freed from the fall. The debt is canceled. God doesn't have need. God doesn't need my money. That's the, that's the best news. If you've ever heard a church sermon or, or giving pitch that made you think that God needed your money, you were lied to. The God of the universe does not need our money at all. Rather, God treats me as a son of the king. He declares me that. He calls you kings and queens, and he invites us into restoration work. And so um, a fall money sermon will make you look down and tell you there's a debt to pay. A restoration money sermon ought to tell you there's a mission to join that God's inviting us into an amazing mission. So there's the runway. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to kind of bounce around. We're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to, um, we're going to skip to the next chapter because this is all one thought. I'm going to give you the bookends today on what Paul is, is talking about with these people, if you wouldn't mind. Hope, will you pull up the map? Um, will you go to the map before you can get to the verses? This will make a little bit more sense. So there's a famine in the Roman Empire when Paul is writing 
don't know how well you can see this. It looked really good on my computer, but now that I look at it here, it's not so great. Uh, this letter is written to the church at Corinth. Can you see that? In the, uh, it's in uh, today what's Greece. And Paul is addressing this famine that's going on throughout this area that's in the Roman Empire. And these are all the churches that Paul started in this region of Athens or in Greece and then going over into what's today modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And so he's going to be addressing the church at Corinth, but he's going to be referencing this church at Philippi, these churches up around Philippi in the area of, that's called Macedonia. And, uh, and basically the church at Philippi was broker than broke. Like they had to save up to be broke. You're going to see that in a minute. These people were so broke, and they took this really, really generous offering. And then the church at Corinth, which didn't experience the famine in quite the same way, is like, Paul, we're going to give, man. We're going to be so generous. And now Paul's writing them to say, all right, it's time to collect the offering. And he's getting wind that they've just been talking about giving and haven't actually been saving any money. And now he's going to sort of address that. So understand that there's a mission bigger than any one of these churches that's got to be fulfilled. It's a desperate situation, and and Paul is not talking to them out of guilt. He's inviting them into rescue and restoration work. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians 8. I've messed with Hope's brain enough. She and Ari and the other people over there doing that stuff are amazing. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Let me read 1 through 7, I think, and then we're going to skip to uh, the next chapter. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the area of Philippi that we just look at. For in a severe test of affliction, they were in the middle of this famine, but the, the region was in a greater uh, area of famine. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. How, bad, how poor were they? Like How bad was their situation? That word extreme and extreme poverty is like the word, like the deepest depths. So when Jacques Cousteau had, do you remember Jacques Cousteau? He would go down to the bottom of the ocean and, um, and, and try to find ocean life. The boat, that the, the vessel that he would take to the bottom of the ocean was named after the Greek word for extreme. This word, out of the depths of their poverty. Jacques Cousteau was going to the depths. And Paul says, out of the depths of these people's financial poverty in the middle of affliction they gave out of an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity verse 3 for they gave according to their means as i can testify and then beyond their means of their own accord in other words we didn't put a gun to their head it was their choice they gave they gave joyfully this is the craziest <laughs> this is one of the craziest verses verse 4 it says they were begging us I and mean, these people are broke begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, they were like, hey, Paul, stop holding out on us. Stop babying us. It's time for us to give too. Like, we want in on the rescue and restoration work. They were begging to give. And this, Paul said, was not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God they gave themselves to us. Verse 6. Accordingly... We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, Paul says, just like the people at Philippi gave, now I'm going to have Titus, who's one of Paul's uh, protégés, 
Titus is going to collect the offering. Like he says, we've been talking about it, and now it's time to collect the offering, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, he's going to go on and keep talking. Turn your page, if you will, to chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 5 in chapter 9. And he says this, So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised, so it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. I remember one time seeing the uh, church that was having a capital campaign, and, uh, and all these people pledged all this money, and they even did one of those thermometers. Have you ever seen, like, I hate those thermometers so much. This church did this capital campaign and, uh, and had the big thermometer, and then uh, people pledged tons of money. And never gave any of it. And I remember talking with some of the leadership of the church, and they were like, what do we do? Like, these people committed. Like, the church at Corinth committed, and he wanted to make sure that Paul was trying to make sure they followed through, but not doing it as an exaction. Uh, Paul wanted to be real careful. I have a friend here in Boston who gets really resentful of churches, and when it comes to money, he says it feels like a shakedown. Have you ever been in a church and it felt like a shakedown When it came to money, Paul wanted to avoid that. Going on in verse 6, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must decide as he has, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. It's not an exaction. It's also, let me just go ahead and say real quickly, when it says sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow generously, reap generously, God doesn't return our money dollar for dollar. Don't hear that today. God doesn't return it tenfold. If you give a dollar this week, uh, you're not going to get $10. I didn't say that. You might not even get one. God's going to, there may be a harvest. God will bless you. Uh, I, I really look at our life and say, you know what? I think there's been a lot of times our car didn't break down, our washing machine didn't go out because God just kind of blessed us. I really believe that by his grace, like there was times where God took care of us because we tried to be faithful to follow this principle. We tried to sow generously and God allowed us to reap generously, but it's not dollar for dollar. Sometimes it's joy, sometimes it's fruit, sometimes it's harvest. God will do it, uh, and I love that about the Lord. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, verse 9, He is distributed freely, He's given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, it's a crazy verse, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, when we used to live in the, uh, when Nat and I first got married, I worked for a country church. I mean, there were literally more chickens in this county than there were people, by probably about three or four times. So many. You always knew when it was like farming season because, and not just chicken season, because the stuff that had come out of the chickens made its way into the field and you would drive through after a hot summer rain and man, it just smelled like a toilet all over the whole county. These were farming people, some of the best people I ever met in my life. And I remember when they would pray for the offering, they would get up and say, Lord, you know, we, we thank you for the rain this week. We thank you for the crop. And then they would often say this as, as we were getting ready to give. They would say, Lord, bless the gift and the giver. That's this principle. 
He says, God will bless your your seed for sowing and he will bless the harvest. In other words, God's going to bless you as you give, biblical principle, and God is going to bless the gifts that you give to do rescue and restoration work. That's what he's saying. And then that was verse 10, 11. He says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Hope I'm going to juke you one last time. If you'll go down to verse 15, the last verse that we've got, he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The greatest gift, Jesus, is not what I give. The gift is Jesus. So as we talk about giving, the the coolest part is not that we're paying debts or paying tithes or offerings or whatever. It's that God has done so much for us, and he invites us as rescued people into restoration work. Now, I'm going to give you the big idea today. If you take one note, you hear me say this a lot. If you're going to take one note, here's the one note. It's not original to me. I think we have a slide um, for here it is. It comes from R. Kent Hughes, by the way, in, the, in a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man that has been one of the transformative books of my life I read years ago. He said, God can, have my, uh, God can have my money, but not have my heart. But God cannot have my heart and not have my money. God can have my money and not have my heart, but God cannot have my heart and not have my money. I've seen, and I'll be honest, man, there were times where the, pat, the plate would pass in churches, and this is why we don't do it here right now. Like, the plate would pass, and I would feel so guilty, and I'd be like, man, I was going to buy a hat with that. You know what I mean? Like, you just feel, like, resentful. That's a moment where God got my money, but he did not get my heart. Man, there have been other times where I was so all in with Jesus that they could have asked for whatever, and I was going to make it happen. God can't have my heart and not have my money. He can't get my money and not have my heart. Uh, my Uncle Frank, when he was, he was my mom's older brother, passed away about 10 years ago. Um, when he was a boy, my family had a, my granddad had a Saturday night ritual. They would cut up, they would fold out some newspaper on the den floor. And my granddad would get some oranges and some apples and they would sit there and they would cut up fruit. And when I was a kid, we had, we had to watch Andy Griffith Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy on Saturday. Like, that was the ritual. Granddad would cut fruit. We would talk. This went on for decades. It went on so far before me that when my Uncle Frank was a little boy, one night while this little ritual was happening in the living room, my Uncle Frank, who had a paper route, was taking his dimes he had gotten from his paper route, and he was separating them off. And my granddad looked at him and said, boy, what are you doing? And, uh, and my Uncle Frank said, well, the way, he said, I got all this money from my paper route, but the way I understand it, this part is God's, and this part is mine. And my granddad, up to that point, my granddad's words, not mine. My granddad would say, up to that point in my life, I'd been tipping God. I would kind of give God a little bit, almost like, you know, like you give a waiter or a waitress. Like he said, I'd give him $5 a week or whatever. He said, man, when I saw my young son understanding that God had his heart and he was getting his money, he said it was a total game changer. And my granddad began to adjust his giving. They began to give it a percentage, and that increased for the rest of his life. God can have my money and not have my heart, but he cannot have my heart and not have my money. The Lord that day got a hold of my granddad's heart, and, uh, and then from then on, my granddad just began to joyfully give to whatever God was in the middle of. I want to tell you six traits, real fast, of giving when God has our hearts. Or, so this would be gospel giving or grace giving or restoration people giving. 
The first trait, and we see them all in these verses, the first trait of gospel giving is that it's joyful. It's joyful. Uh, I love communion. I know Renee and I have talked about this. The thing we're most ready to go see back to normal is Barb uh, generously holding the plate and telling us as we dip the bread into the juice, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. I miss that. It's joyful. It's my favorite moment of the week pre-pandemic was receiving communion. I love singing. Man, we sing Break Every Chain. Like there's sometimes I have to be like, man, it's a pandemic and I'm not allowed to do like this. I'll punch my wife in the head, like, you know, raise my arms. But man, there's a part of me that just wants to like, just just let the joy go. I love baptism. I'm telling you, you can't clap loud enough in just a minute. When she comes out of that water, you can't clap loud enough. Like, you can't. It's the most joyful thing in the world. Uh, I, Paul says, "Let our God loves a cheerful, joyful giver. Grace giving can be joyful giving, just like communion and baptism and singing and worship. These people were joyful and cheerful. The second thing about grace giving is it's willing Paul says two or three times they were willing to give. They wanted to give. They begged Paul to give. Usually the pastor's begging the people. You ever been in a church where, I mean, the pastor does everything except get down on his knees and grovel? Like, I've been in those churches. Like, I've been in a church where they kind of put the budget out, and they're like, we're not saying anything, but look at all those red numbers. Like, we're in trouble. Don't worry about, you know, I've seen, I've seen, Giving pitches from every different way from, from pastors. Um, these people, there's the opposite. They were like, Paul, please let us give. Let us give. Willing givers find a way to give because they have to celebrate rescue and join in restoration. We don't pass the plate here. We used to, at the Kent, uh, do the, like a basket in the back. And we'll return to that or something. We may pass the plate one day in response to this sermon. I don't know. Not yet. You have to give online here. And what we found in the last 15 months is people find a way to give. You guys have given more generously in the last 15 months than you ever gave before the pandemic. Because God's got your hearts. That's the cool thing. As our church has grown, you've grown deeper. You've become more willing and creative in finding ways to give. The third trait of giving when God has our hearts is it's regular. It's regular. In 1 Corinthians 16, again, addressing the same issue with the same group of people, but a few years before, Paul said, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, Paul's saying, on the first day of the week when you gather, give. Um, So grace giving is regular giving. It's when you get paid. The word for that in the Old Testament is first fruits. It's first fruits giving. It's when you get paid. Now, some of you get paid every week. Some of you get paid bi-monthly. Some of you get paid once a month. Some of you, this has been, uh, this is not the model I've ever been involved in because I've been a pastor all my life. Some of you get like a regular paycheck, but then you get these big bonuses at the year so that your paycheck is very small and the bonuses are big. And it's been cool as your pastor to see you give accordingly. Like, but you give out of the first fruits of what God gives you when you get paid. Um, gospel giving is restoration give. As God provides, we give. And that's not out of the leftovers. Like, there have been times in my life, my granddad, when he used to tip God, he would give at the end of the month. In other words, they would live, and if there was some money left over at the end, they would give. What Paul is encouraging and calling the church to is to give first that God gave. So, 
Nat and I, we've set the amount that we give every month. And every month, before we do anything with our money, as soon as our paycheck clears the bank, we, we give. Like, we do it. And if that, if for us, if that means we have to adjust what we eat in a month or we have to adjust where we go, that's okay. Like, I think that Scripture calls Christians to regular first fruits giving. The fourth trait is it's generous. Now, this is the part where I may lose you. So I want to be really careful to lovingly tell you what I'm going to tell you. When I say it's generous giving, we see Paul talking about that in 8.2 and throughout. But in their affliction, out of the depths of their poverty, they gave more. They gave by their means, he said, and beyond their means. Um, Generous kingdom giving is not tipping. I want to tell you, I believe it's percentage giving. If I had to put another word, I did. I did put another word up for it. Go me. It's percentage giving. Now, the word in, uh, in church culture is the tithe. We were joking about this this morning. In ancient Israel, the tithe, the word tithe just means 10%. Uh, in ancient Israel, they didn't give 10%. They actually gave, I think, 25 to 30%. Part of that was kind of almost like a national income tax. But the tithe, for them, and I think the gracious tithe is 10%. Like, so here's what I want to tell you. More than getting stuck on the tithe, because some of you will walk out of here and say, J.D. just talked about tithing. I did talk about tithing. I don't back down from that. But to go from zero to 10% would be insane. It would, it would literally be catastrophic for some of our finances. That's why we're doing this series. So what I do want to encourage you to is to begin to give it a percentage. If you're not giving or you've never given or maybe you're tipping like my granddad did, I want to encourage you to, begive, to give it a percentage and then work toward 10%. You know, you... You may start at 1%, and you're like, ooh, that was tough. That required me to move some stuff around, sacrifice something this month. But after a couple of months of giving it 1%, you may say, you know, we can flex a little. Now we're going to 2%. And then you grow. I used to love working out. I don't like it anymore. I feel like every time I go to the gym, I hurt something rather than strengthen something. <laughs> when I did work out, um, it, you can't just do the same weight every time. If you're constantly pushing the same weight, whether it's curls or triceps or on the bench press or whatever, if you're doing the same weight five years from now, I promise you, you're not going to be any stronger. Like I see old guys come to the Y when I used to go there and they're doing the same weight year after year after year. They're not trying to get stronger. They're trying to stay just right where they are. Listen, I want to grow in my faith in all areas. And so I begin to give it a level where I can still be cheerful. God, I'm giving 1%. Cheerful, Lord. I'm trusting you. It's a leap of faith, but I'm doing it. I'm trusting you. I'm entering into rescue and restoration work. When 1% begins to, you feel like God's like, okay, you can give a little more, and you give more. My mom, uh, who is retired, and I hope she's not watching this morning as I brag on her, she told, she said the other day, she said, you know, I'm retired. I'm getting my Social Security. I'm getting my retirement. She, and she was like, you don't know how much I made last year? And man, listen, there were months as a kid, my mom was, if we don't know each other, my mom was a single mom, worked three jobs. There was months where literally if God hadn't miraculously dropped a check in the mailbox, we wouldn't have eaten. That's, that's not hyperbole. That's a true story. She told me what she made. I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, man, go, go, mom. Good job. And I was like, wow. You know, and she goes, can I tell you? She goes, can I tell you what I gave away? 
And, she, and I was like, and she started telling me what she gave to her church. And I was like, well, dang, that's convicting. And she goes, and then I gave to this missionary that I know in the Middle East that you guys were friends with when you were kids. And I gave to Christ Church Charlestown. And I gave to this. She ended up giving away half of what she made to kingdom stuff, to her church and missionaries and church plants. And I was like, whew. Now, she wasn't always there, but she did this. And God has continued to grow and bless her. And man, she's one of my heroes when it comes to something like this. Number five, grace giving when God has our hearts is, re- um, is redemptive. It's redemptive. Seven times Paul talked about the grace of giving. A sign that God's grace is at work in us is an act of God's grace flowing through us. When we give, it reminds us. And again, this is why this is not for not yet Christians. God's grace flows into us and through our giving and our serving and our sharing and all those things, God's grace flows out of us. This is how that happened. That's redemptive giving. I want to give you permission to never give to a particular church. Never give to a church, whatever denomination, whatever name. It Maybe it'll be this one one day. I pray to God it's not. If a church doesn't have an end game that's inviting you into rescue and restoration work, don't give them a dollar. If they're just asking you to give to prop up an institution, don't give them a dollar. When God invites us to give, he's inviting us into rescue and restoration work. The giving, I really believe, should significantly go to missions, church planting, disciple making, and seeking the welfare of the city. When you give here, uh, your giving goes to pay salaries and pay rent, but it also goes to a Christmas offering that helps fund international missionaries. It goes to an Easter offering that helps plant churches. We actually have been recipients of that offering for three and a half years, but so are church planters all over North America. It's gone to help our networks in Boston. When you give, it's gone to support partnerships with the Charlestown Mothers Association, the Charlestown Little League, the Harvard Kent, Charlestown High School, the Kennedy Center, Special Townies, senior adults in this community, small businesses, gym hockey, and on and on and on. And not just to be nice, but to share the gospel. I don't have the updated figure, but I know that for the first nine months of pandemic, we gave away $40,000. That's redemptive giving. Do we do it so we can be like, oh, look at our church. We're awesome. Get a t-shirt. No. We did it to say Jesus loves you and he died for you and you are living in the middle of fall. But God invites you into rescue and restoration work. And we want to invite you into that. And we want generosity to be the pathway to it. Because in a culture where money is king, we want to say that Jesus is king. And we will freely give our money to show you that we have a different and better king. And he will not enslave us. And he will set us free. And he will invite us into something much bigger than you can ever imagine. Number six, last one. My wife's like, oh boy, you got loud back there. Number six, uh, grace giving, last one, is worshipful. Worship is just ascribing worth to something. So when we are doing grace giving, we are ascribing worth to God. We are ascribing praise to God. We are ascribing glory to God for the sake of the gospel. It's an act of worship. It is discipleship. God can have my money and not have my heart, but God cannot have my heart. And not get my money. So the invitation today is not for you to give. Um, The invitation today is for you to give the Lord all your heart. And if you are one of those people who's not yet a follower of Christ even. 
I don't want your money. We don't need your money. I'm not even going to try to Jesus juke you to say, ask Christ in your heart so we can get your money. (laughs) That would be really dirty, wouldn't it? (laughs) I want you to know Christ because following Jesus has been the most liberating, joyful experience of my life. And there are people in this room who would tell you the same thing. And you're about to go watch someone do something that's unheard of in New England because God has so gripped her heart. And that is good. And that is what Jesus invites us into. And giving is just the overflow of that. Let me pray for us. If you need to do anything to get ready, you go do it. But in just a second, we're about to go outside. Jesus, thank you. Oh, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I get to pastor a church of generous people. And uh, I think, even as we wrap up, about that idea of you, you uh, increasing the seed for sowing and the harvest. God, you've done that for our church. You've done that in so many different ways, God. You've uh, allowed these people to be generous, and you've blessed these people. Um, and they have done that because you've got their hearts And that's freed us to be able to give generously in this community and in this city and even beyond to the ends of the earth. We thank you. God, I pray that you would help us increase in the grace of giving. That there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that as we give, it it would literally just be us accepting the invitation into rescue and restoration work. And God, help me and help Nat and help Nick and help Kayla help uh, Barb as the treasurer of the church and help Jamie as uh, the guy who crunches all the numbers in the church. Help us know how to best steward every dime you give us to do rescue and restoration work. God, if there's a person here in the room or watching on Facebook Live who doesn't yet know you, and not they haven't, maybe they know about you, maybe they've heard about you, but they've never entered into relationship with you, God. I pray that they wouldn't hear a money sermon. God, I pray that they would hear the God of the universe whispering in love. Come to me. Accept my offer of forgiveness. Ask me into your life. Surrender everything to me. And God, I pray that they would answer that. I pray that from their living room or from this theater that they would say, Christ, will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart? Thank you for dying for me and offering me forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and relationship with you. God, I thank you for the gospel that it's not harder than that. It's us surrendering ourselves to you and you changing everything. And Lord, we're about to celebrate seeing you do that in someone. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.